morning to each of you and a welcome to Kingswood Church. My name is James Preston, one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Clayton. We welcome you on this amazing Palm Sunday. It's a beautiful day. Amen. And we've welcomed amazing new members. Amen. Our children have led us in worship. Amen. We can go home right now. Amen. Right. Well, not so soon. Amen. Right. Uh, so today we um, continue in this journey of Lent, these 40 days we have been journeying with Jesus uh, through the beautiful statements of the Gospel of John. And you'll remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus has a number of discourses, I am, remember, I am the true vine, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've, we've been looking at all of those I am statements over these past weeks and learning more about who Jesus is in the Gospel of John, but also who Jesus is for us uh, as shepherd, as true vine, as way in life. Amen? So today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, uh, the first day of the Holy Week journey, uh, we kind of encounter Jesus not saying exactly, I am. He will do that again around resurrection and life. But today, People are proclaiming him that Jesus is indeed Savior and King, right? Uh, so today is a day in which we get a sense of who Jesus is as Savior and King, but then it's a whole reframing because the world has expectations of kings and saviors, amen? We want somebody to be the perfect leader. We want to elect the person who meets our every need. We want to marry the perfect person. We keep looking for all of these uh, particular things that line up. And so it's interesting that as we encounter Jesus as King and Savior, uh, we get a different view of what that means in our faith and our context. Amen? Amen. So, I, I, it's funny, a lot of people say, I just love Palm Sunday, right? And I always wonder, why do we love Palm Sunday so much? Um, maybe it's the pomp and circumstance, maybe it's the fun with children, uh, maybe we've always wanted to wave branches indoors, I don't know, maybe so. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with the, the deep sense of festival and parade and procession, right? We, we love parades, or at least most of us do, right? I mean, we, we've been in parades maybe in marching bands or in civic groups. We've participated in parades. Here at Kingswood, we have a parent's day out, and the, that, those kids parade all the time, right? They, they come through at, at, at Halloween trick-or-treating on the costume parade, and then there'll be a July 4th parade, and then occasionally there'll be a singing parade, and so periodically we'll get a, a slack or a notice on our computer. The kids are coming, and we'll stand at our doors and offer gifts and celebrate, and, and, and I, it's actually a great thing during the day to have this moment of celebration. I think about, you know, BG Days Parade or Pride Parade or uh, the places where we come and celebrate life together. And I think about uh, if you lived in Chicago, the city of parades, in my opinion, you know, and, and there's a lot of joy in those parades, right? But if you're trying to get around in the city on a day of parades, there's no joy. Amen. You just keep trying to figure your way out. So I, I've loved parades since I was a kid. The circus parade would come to town, homecoming parade. Uh, and so parades have a lot of joy, but parades can also be hard. They can be long, and as we know from last summer uh, in Highland Park, parades can be a place of great destruction. So in many ways, as we think about all of that, we get a sense of this parade and what it means for us in our faith. We love it because there's this great celebration of Jesus and his entry, but we struggle because we know where this parade ends up. Amen. We know that the parade doesn't jump immediately to Alleluia and resurrection. Amen? We'd like for it to, 
but it goes through a journey of foot washing and betrayal and the breaking of bread and cup and the crucifixion and betrayal and deep, deep injustice. And too often as Christians, we are tempted to jump from Palm Sunday to Easter. I remember in one church I served this woman and said, well, Pastor, I'll see you next Sunday, but I'm not coming this week because I don't like all the mess, right? And I said, dearest, dearest sister, the mess is all part of the journey, right? It's part of the parade. So I want you to think about this journey that appears in all four Gospels, but today we're going to look at the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn uh, to John and uh, to turn to chapter 12 of John. And we're going to get a little more context about what's happening today in this entry story. Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke both have their own versions. Uh, John is the briefest version of the entry. It's interesting. It's tacked on uh, more importantly to the resurrection of Lazarus, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, Matthew and Luke have this elaborate how they find the donkey. And then in one version, there's a donkey and a a colt. And uh, it's kind of confusing. So if you like palm leaves and you like a simple version, John's your person, right? Amen. So let's just go back a little bit because there's context here. Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem from the suburb of Bethany, and in Luke, the suburb of Bethany and Bethphage, both of which would have been just outside the city near the Mount of Olives. But there's some history. Six days before the Passover, remember Passover festival? Passover festival is the remembrance of the people being delivered from Egypt when the death angel came and they painted blood on their doorposts and the angel passed over. And then there's a meal. And ironically enough, the festival of Passover begins soon, almost in line with uh, Easter. That doesn't always happen. And so we'll be celebrating with our Jewish brothers and sisters in similar, similar paths. So it was six days before the Passover when Jesus came to the suburb of Bethany. And he comes to the home of Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. I love the kind of casual nature of that. Like he, he came to see his friend Randy, who's the musician. He came to see Gene, his friend who lives in uh, Rob Roy. But now here's the deal. He comes to see his friend Lazarus, you know, who he raised from the dead, right? Uh, so, so this is a pretty big visit, amen, right? I, I, don't, I don't know if you have any friends you've raised from the dead, but Jesus does, obviously. And so he's in the home of Lazarus, which is in the suburb of Bethany. And we know from other readings that Jesus had a deep relationship with this family and he loved them dearly. There he was given a dinner. A dinner was given for him uh, as the festival of Passover approached, not yet starting. And we meet his first sister, Martha. Do you remember Martha from Luke chapter 3? Uh, you just remember her. I love her so much. Uh, if you're on the Enneagram, she's a type 1 perfectionist. Uh, she's probably an extrovert, and she's probably type A. And she likes everything ordered. She wants everyone to do what she wants them to do. And she can be a little hard. I love her. Amen, right? I, I love Martha. And uh, she's here. And we know from the other story, remember when Jesus came to visit another time and she was fixing dinner. Mary was having a lovely conversation. She kind of blew up. Maybe you know that person. Maybe you are that person. Amen. <laughs> so, of course, there they gave a dinner for Jesus. Martha served. No surprise. Amen. Uh, and Lazarus was uh, one of those at the table with him. They want you to know that Lazarus is still alive. He's been uh, brought back from the dead. And, uh, and you'll remember that Jesus called him out and had great emotion. And so here they're gathered for this dinner. Then we encounter Mary, the other sister, the one who had been listening to Jesus in a previous story. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard 
and she anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, you know, I know you're familiar with ancient practice when people come to your house for dinner. We don't do this very much in Buffalo Grove. But when a person comes in the ancient world to your house, the first thing you do is one of your servants washes the feet. And so it's a very important part of hospitality because the streets are dusty. And let, let me tell you, having been in Israel, Jordan, and Egypt, I still am sifting dust out of my body and out of my clothing, right? The dust is everywhere. So Mary goes a much greater step further in washing and anointing Jesus' feet with a costly perfume called nard. And, I, you know, I always kind of read over this, not thinking about the smells in the house of the food and the folks gathered, and then this alabaster jar. We got to see how alabaster is made when we were in Egypt, and we also got to a essential oils and nard place in um, Aswan, and when they broke out some of the scents, they were so powerful. It just, this makes more sense to me than ever before. And she doesn't use a towel, she uses her hair. There's something deeply intimate and supportive and loving and and I, I think about how many of us would do that, how many of us would welcome someone into their household and, and, and anoint and wash their feet and wipe them with their hair. It'd be a little hard for me, but some of you could pull it off, right? So here's this beautiful moment and this beautiful anointing. And Judas Iscariot, the one who will betray Jesus, he, he kind of loses it. Why did, we, why did she spend this money on this perfume? We could have used this to take care of a lot of people. We could have... Uh, kept, kept the food pantry filled for years. We could have built a shelter. I mean, and, and then there's this debate with John about whether this is authentic care about serving others or Judas's love of money. Whatever it is, Jesus confronts it, and I love what he says. Leave Mary alone. She brought that so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. There's this moment where this is a sign of what's to come. We're getting a glimpse of how this Passover will be different and that she is already anointing Jesus for his death. He keeps saying it. The disciples keep not getting it. And then when the great crowd of Jews learned that there, he had come and that he was with Lazarus, they followed him. So the chief priests, the religious authorities, decided that not only did they need to put Jesus to death, but probably get rid of Lazarus as well, since it was on account of him that so many people were departing and joining the way of Jesus. And now we come to today's story. So you've got the sense of why we're where we are. We're in the suburb of Bethany. There's been this sacred meal together. Mary has anointed Jesus' feet. Judas is upset about the expenditure. Jesus has confronted him. And now there's a great crowd gathering because they hear Jesus is there. Verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So I want to talk a little bit about how Jesus entered Jerusalem. I've talked about it year upon year, but now I have a, a greater sense of what that looks like. So I'm going to invite Wesley to lift up this picture. This is the Mount of Olives, uh, uh, and uh, it doesn't do justice. If you were on the Israel trip, raise your hand. It doesn't do justice. It's so much more expansive than that. So you'll see uh, the, the Church of Gethsemane here on the lower forefront. You'll see the Church of Mary Magdala with the golden onion domes. And then you'll see more churches up the hill. This hill is much steeper than you can imagine. And it's much more expansive. There are graves as well, as well as olive trees. And you, you've got a sense. So you are facing from the temple toward the Mount of Olives. 
and you are seeing uh, the trees, and, but you are not seeing the whole garden as it goes further west, okay? You got a sense of that? So you're facing the Mount of Olives from the temple, uh, uh, or from the Temple Mount. And then I want uh, uh, to go to the next slide. Tradition believes, and Scripture implies, that Jesus entered Jerusalem through what was called the East Gate or the Golden Gate. Uh, and you'll see it there. This is part of the Temple Mount. And so Jesus would have come down all the way from the Mount of Olives down into this very deep gorge. I never imagined how deep it was until we had to walk down this ramp. And it was almost like you might just tip over and roll, right? It was that kind of steep. And you would have sensed Jesus. You would have seen him from the temple coming down and then coming to the bottom and then coming up. So now you are seeing the temple as if you're at the Mount of Olives facing the east or golden gate, right? And one thing I want you to see, what's unique about that gate today? It's sealed. Do you see that? There's no way through the gate. Uh, and then you'll see in front of it some palm trees, but what most of those white uh, structures are are graves and tombs. And so one of the ancient rulers that followed after the temple's destruction was very, he knew the tradition of one, the Messiah, the chosen one, would come from the Mount of Olives and enter the city. He knew that tradition. He knew that also that Mount of Olives would be the forefront of bringing somebody to the east or Golden Gate for entry, and then the Messiah would come in and restore their power and their reality, right? So what he decided to do to prevent the Messiah's coming is to seal the gate, right? So he believed that if he sealed the gate, they would not enter. The Messiah would not enter. And then he started a cemetery in front because he said any good Messiah would not traipse through a cemetery, right? So it was kind of an interesting response. But nonetheless, Jesus is entering prior to that decision. The gate would have been open, and that's how he would have entered the city. Do you see what I'm saying? So I want you to think about that entry. Um, and so they took palm branches from the trees and they went out to meet him. I've talked about palm leaves are prevalent all through uh, Israel uh, in Palestine, lots of palm trees, but palm leaves were a sign of royalty. If you go to the Psalms, you'll see them mentioned periodically. So the waving of palms was a way to welcome a king or a royal figure, okay? And then they shouted that, that word that we learned earlier in the service, Hosanna, the ancient word that means God save us or save us. And then these ancient words from the Psalter, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. All right? So there's, there's this, it's, it, it would have mimicked other processions of kings coming in. It, people would have remembered these liturgies from the past when King David and other kings entered the city of Jerusalem. So there's this great sense of palms waving and people laying the palms down in their clothes as a sign of symbolic uh, support. And then the rejoicing that, in fact, the Messiah had come. And then in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, I don't know about you, if I'm thinking about a world leader, a king, a president, a governor, or somebody of profound political power and leadership, I'm, I'm usually not imagining them entering a rally, an event, or the city on a donkey. Anyone, right? Or don't you find it kind of hilarious, really? I mean, it's so fascinating that, that Jesus would enter on a donkey. The other versions in the other Gospels give a lot more information about the choosing of that donkey or colt. 
but the reality is Jesus decides to enter on a donkey, connecting with this ancient Hebrew scripture from the prophet Zechariah that said, indeed, the Messiah will not enter in a powerful military entree, but will in fact enter on a donkey as a symbol of peace, as a symbol of peace. Now, what I want you also to know is on the other side of the Temple Mount is another gate. And prior to the coming of Passover every year, Pontius Pilate, anybody know him? Roman governor, lots of power over lots of soldiers, kind of a really bad person, right? Will eventually lead to Jesus being crucified as well. Right before the Passover, Pontius Pilate would leave Caesarea and he would leave his palace and with a huge Roman garrison of soldiers and weapons and so forth, he would enter by the other gate and come into the city during the Passover to say to the people, if you think you're going to uprise this year, that's not going to happen. Because you see, Passover is a great time to think about revolting because Passover is about being delivered from oppression, amen? Passover is about being delivered from Pharaoh, amen? Passover is a time of celebrating that God indeed will bring freedom to God's people, amen, right? So, of course, Pontius Pilate enters on the other gate with a whole political and military garrison. But Jesus enters through the Golden Gate from the Mount of Olives, not even in a stretch limousine, right? But on a donkey as a sign of peace. It did continue in verse 16. His disciples did not understand. That's so true in John. The disciples just can't seem to get it. They didn't understand these things at first, but later when Jesus was glorified after his resurrection, then they remembered these things and what had been written of him and had been done to him. So it's interesting here the disciples don't quite understand what's happening, though the symbolism is rich and the energy is high, but later they'll pull it all together. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead came to testify. And it was because they had heard that he had performed the sign of lifting Lazarus that the crowd went to meet him. And the Pharisees, remember those leaders, said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so there's a deep sense of dread from the Pharisees that indeed because of this raising of Lazarus, because of this entry into Jerusalem, uh, people are turning toward Jesus, and that's where they're going to be. And there's all these shouts of Hosanna, celebration that the Messiah has come, even if it's on a donkey, right? But you and I know the rest of the story, amen, that it doesn't take long for the crowds of Hosanna shouting joyful Hosannas to be shouting crucifixion. That's why it's important to take this whole journey, not only from the Mount of Olives into the deep gorge and up the side to the Temple Mount through the Golden Gate and into Jerusalem, but it's also important to know that there are other steps on this journey which are not as joyful and is not as beautiful. Amen. So I invite you uh, to consider this journey as you move forward in this Holy Week moment to not rush yourself to resurrection, but to live in the brokenness of crucifixion in the shadows of palm trees, palm leaves, and shouts of Hosanna. That's how the world seems to be, amen? And yet we are called to ride in in humility, we are called to be people of peace, and we are called to be people of reconciliation. We don't enter by the other side. We get on a donkey, we travel down and travel up. We enter the Golden Gate and we offer peace.
That's who we are. That's who Jesus calls us to be. Hosanna. 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 Will you pray with me? Holy God, as we begin this Holy Week journey, we thank you for this beautiful story. A story of dear friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. A story of resurrection in the midst of death. We thank you for a story in which one serves and the other anoints the feet of Jesus. We acknowledge that sometimes we are the ones who complain and we're the ones who gripe and we're the ones who are looking for the easy way out. And yet you point us through this beautiful word today to travel the journey of Jesus, to gather with him on a donkey and to travel through the Mount of Olives and its steep cliffs and to rise upon the Temple Mount and enter through the Golden Gate and to indeed be a people of peace, a people of healing, and a people of restoration. God, we believe in your son Jesus who saves, who is king and ruler of our lives. And today as we begin this Holy Week journey, we recommit ourselves again to offer our hearts to him and to walk the way of the cross with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.